0: Welcome to the World War One History Podcast, produced by the MacArthur Memorial, a museum and research center dedicated to preserving and presenting the history of General Douglas MacArthur, which includes the story of World War I and that of the millions of men and women who served in that war. Kaiser Wilhelm II, Part 1 Current scholarship on the Great War seeks to remove the responsibility of the war from the hands of a single person or nation, and instead parcels out the blame to the British, Germans, Russians, Austrians, French, or Serbians, depending on what new troves of documents are discovered or reinterpreted. Parts of the story remain mysterious as the important archives and documents of some nations have been destroyed, lost, or were crafted by posterity-conscious officers and bureaucrats. And so who bears the blame for the war remains an active debate. No one blames the hapless Gavrilo Princip, the assassin who triggered the crisis that started the war, who was then quickly swept to the back pages of history. At the time, there was someone, however, that most blamed for the war. Among the Allies in many neutral countries, Kaiser Wilhelm II of Germany was usually identified as the primary villain. When the war ended, he was clearly on the losing side. He was driven out of his country by his own people who had lost faith in his leadership. Vilified by much of the world's press, he was even abandoned by many of his relations who openly blamed him for the war. His cousin, King George V of England, wrote in a much-quoted diary entry, no man can dominate the world. It has been tried before, and now he has utterly ruined his country and himself, and I look upon him as the greatest criminal known for having plunged the world into this ghastly war. But who was Kaiser Wilhelm II? Was he another menacing emperor bent on refashioning the world order? Or was he a bumbling fool in a pickle haub? Propaganda of the Allied powers sometimes seemed to argue that either was a possibility. Kaiser Wilhelm II's life will be examined over the course of two podcast episodes. Part one will discuss his early life and years as emperor. Part two will focus on the foreign policy crises of the early 20th century, World War I, and his final years. As we discuss who he was, it will also be helpful to understand who he was supposed to be. The eldest male grandchild of Queen Victoria, Wilhelm II had access to two powerful worlds and cultures. That of Germany and Great Britain. More than any of his fellow royals, the Kaiser had the potential to be the bridge between these two powers and to be a powerful stabilizing figure in Europe during a time of great change and political consequence. But rather than being the bridge between the two powers, the Kaiser would spend his life torn between the two. His mother, Victoria, often referred to by her family as Vicky, was an English princess, the Princess Royal. She was the eldest daughter of Queen Victoria and her consort, Prince Albert. The royal family's German roots ran deep. Prince Albert had been a minor German princeling prior to his marriage to the queen, and the queen herself had German grandparents. The couple shared a deep love of German culture and an accompanying desire to see the German states unite under a liberal constitutional monarchy. Industrialization was changing the face of European society, and Victoria and Albert believed that the best way to avert future wars or monarch-tumbling revolutions was to transmit British-style constitutional monarchy throughout Europe. They hoped this would protect crowns and empires, while providing enlightened rule that would encourage progress. They viewed marriage as the best way to infiltrate Europe and spread these values. Their eldest daughter, Vicky, was the linchpin in this strategy. Realizing that the young princess was highly intelligent, Prince Albert singled her out for a very special education. In contrast, her brother Bertie, the Prince of Wales and future King Edward VII, was not regarded by his parents as the key to their hopes and dreams for their beloved Germany. Vicky, it was hoped, would marry into German royalty and pass along the English way of doing things. On September 29, 1855, Victoria and Albert's hopes were overjoyed when Prince Frederick of Prussia came to the Queen's estate at Balmoral and Vicky accepted his offer of marriage. Frederick's father was heir to the Prussian throne, and it was under the rule of Prussia that the German state would coalesce. The plan was for Vicky to influence her new husband Frederick when he became king, and then one day her half-English, half-German son would rule. It seemed a foolproof plan. Prince Frederick, a moderate man already, was greatly influenced by Vicky and very interested in liberalizing Germany. Victoria and Albert's dream for Germany seemed a fait accompli. Their grandson, Wilhelm, however, would not quite fall into line with the dreams of his grandparents and parents. The trouble with Wilhelm seemed to start from birth. Eighteen-year-old Vicky went into labor around midnight on January 26, 1859. She was attended by the German court physician, Sir James Clark, Queen Victoria's personal physician, and a Mrs. Innocent. Nearly 11 hours later, an obstetrics expert was called in when it became clear that the mother and child were struggling. Following a quick exam, the expert administered chloroform to Vicky and used forceps to extract the baby. The future Kaiser Wilhelm II entered the world feet first with his left arm wrapped around his neck, causing agonizing pain to both mother and child. Initially, the baby seemed lifeless, but after several hard slaps, he began to breathe. When the word arrived of a new prince and future heir, people gathered around the crown prince's palace in Berlin to celebrate. Despite this great interest in the new baby, it took two days for Wilhelm's nurses to notice that his left arm, the arm that had been wrapped around his neck at birth, was limp and useless. As he grew, they later discovered that he was also incapable of sitting up properly, and that his head lolled to the side. During the traumatic breech birth, the muscles and ligaments in the neck and arm of the young prince had been torn. Some of this damage would last for the rest of his life. In an effort to fix these problems, the young prince was prescribed increasingly difficult and even experimental treatments. He was subjected to electric shocks, and at age four was strapped into a metal frame for hours on end to try to straighten him out. None of this ever really worked, and his left arm would remain five inches shorter than his right, and his left hand would be half the size of his right. In letters to her mother, Queen Victoria, Vicky described her son as a hideous little creature. In one letter she wrote, The idea of him remaining a cripple haunts me. I long to have a child with everything perfect about it. In an era of elaborate manners and of kings still expected to ride on horseback, Vicky feared the prince with his withered arm would not be able to ride a horse or even cut his own food with a knife at dinner. Determined to overcome his handicap, with typical English industriousness, she attacked the problem. At the age of eight, the young prince was placed on a horse without stirrups, in an attempt to teach him how to ride and balance with only one arm. It was a difficult, torturous task. Wilhelm fell off the horse only to be placed sobbing back on the animal. Eventually the boy got the hang of it, but for the rest of his life he resented the episode. He later wrote, The thought that I, as heir to the throne, should not be able to ride was to my mother intolerable but I felt I was not fit for it because of my disability. I was worried and afraid. When there was nobody near, I wept. The prince learned to overcome his disability in terms of riding, but not every disability could be overcome. For the rest of his life, he would always be dependent on his staff or on his partner at a meal to cut his food for him. As he entered his teens, he began to feel estranged from his mother and started looking for emotional support and identity elsewhere. While he was heir to Victoria and Albert's dream of constitutional monarchy in Germany, he was also heir to a Prussian militaristic tradition and the hopes of his German grandfather for a German world empire. He was split between two very different dreams. He was Wilhelm to his grandfather, the most impressive man of his life, but Willy to his mother and grandmother. Was he German or English? it probably shouldn't have mattered indeed it didn't seem to bother a lot of royals across europe but his mother made the question of value judgment even as the future queen of the german empire vicky always referred to great britain as home turning up her nose at what she saw as the provincialism of the german court in later life william could never remember his mother having any respect for germany nor was vicky very popular in germany When she first arrived in the country in 1858, Otto von Bismarck, soon to be Chancellor of Germany, wrote to a friend, You ask me what I think of the English marriage. The English in it does not please me. The marriage may be quite good, if the princess can leave the English woman at home and become a Prussian. Bismarck would go on to unify the German states under Prussian dominance, but his political philosophy represented the absolute antithesis of everything Prince Albert and Queen Victoria wanted for Germany. By that time, young Wilhelm's grandfather had become Wilhelm I, Emperor of Germany. While not impressed with the liberalism of his son, Frederick, the emperor began to take an interest in his grandson, young Wilhelm, deciding quickly after a short university education, and an abbreviated continental tour, that his 21-year-old grandson should begin his military education. Wilhelm was assigned as a lieutenant in the 1st Regiment of Foot Guards, stationed in Potsdam. He was ecstatic about this assignment, and later wrote, I really found my family, my friends, my interests, everything of which I had up to that time had to do without. Before I entered the regiment, I had lived through such fearful years of unappreciation of my nature, of ridicule of that which was to me the highest and most holy, Prussia, the army, and all of the fulfilling duties that I first encountered in the officer corps. Under Vicky, he had been taught to reject and be ashamed of Prussian militarism. Under the tutelage of his grandfather, the emperor, however, Wilhelm was awakening to the glories of the German Empire and Prussian military values. In this environment, he was free to be proud of being German. Everyone in Berlin knew that when Frederick became king, Bismarck and the emperor's view for a Germany would be washed away. But in young Wilhelm, the opponents of constitutional monarchy were realizing they had someone to rally around. Wishing to flatter the young man and drive a further wedge between Wilhelm and his Anglophile parents, Bismarck, with the emperor's tacit consent, began to send him out on diplomatic missions, completely sidelining his father, Frederick, the crown prince. More freedom followed. On February 27, 1881, Wilhelm married. His wife was Princess Augusta Victoria of Schleswig-Holstein, a German state that had been absorbed by Prussia. Called Donna by her family, an Englishwoman at the German court cruelly referred to her as a good, quiet, soft cow that has calves and eats grass slowly and ruminates. Unlike his mother, Vicky, Donna would prove far more worshipful and compliant. She also helped to feed his growing hatred of England. As time passed, Wilhelm grew more and more estranged from his parents. By 1887, tensions were at a high, and a new drama began to play out. Crown Prince Frederick was dying of throat cancer. The aging Kaiser Wilhelm I was also nearing death. For Vicky and Frederick, it was a race against time for the soul of Germany. In 1888, the 90-year-old Kaiser died. Although unable to speak and too weak to attend his father's funeral, Frederick became the next German Kaiser. His reign would last a mere 99 days. On June fifteenth, 1888, Frederick died, ending the hopes of many for a more liberal Germany. As Vicky looked out the palace window at the cordon of soldiers encircling the palace, the first orders of the new Kaiser Wilhelm II, it was clear that her son would lead Germany in a very different direction. Wilhelm immediately issued three proclamations, one to the Prussian army declaring, We belong to one another. We are indeed born for one another, whether God ordains peace or storm. He then sent a message to the navy and then to the German people. A week later he addressed the Reichstag. It was clear where his priorities lay. Soon he went on a grand tour of European capitals, with one major omission. He did not visit London. His entourage and many of the anti-English party were elated. They crowed that Germany would not kowtow to England under this Kaiser, but would instead take its rightful place as the leader of Europe. If Bismarck thought he had a fine young figurehead, he was soon to be corrected. Wilhelm was not interested in the Chancellor's advice. Encouraged by his inner circle, he was taking the autocratic powers of the Kaiser seriously. In crafting the German constitution in 1871, Bismarck himself had created these powers. But in 1871, his master had been Wilhelm I, a man happy to heed his advice. In the resulting power struggle that ensued between Bismarck and his new master, Bismarck was dismissed in 1890. The man who had deftly brokered German power on the world stage for decades was gone, and a new anti-English faction, committed to the autocratic rule of the Kaiser, rose in influence. This would prove fateful to millions. As Bismarck would later remark, Jena came 20 years after the death of Frederick the Great. The crash will come 20 years after my departure if things go on like this. It was to be a prophetic statement. Part 2 will cover the second half of Kaiser Wilhelm II's life, including the foreign policy crises of the early 20th century, World War I, and his final years in exile. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, suggestions, or comments, please contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.